Hey, would you believe me if I told you that I could read minds? Does anybody believe that? Anybody in here believe that I can do that? I think I can. So here's what I want to do here. I want you to pick a number between 1 and 100 and put it in your head. Don't, don't tell me what that number is. Okay? Don't tell me what that number is. But I'm going to read your mind and I'm going to figure out what that number is. Okay, I have that number. I wait. No, it's getting a little. Stop thinking about lunch. Okay, just click. You have. To, you're thinking about it, Kenny. Think about a number. I don't want you thinking about lunch. I don't want you thinking about how long this is going to go. That's a different number, and it's way higher than you want it to be. I want you to just think about a number between one and one hundred. Does everybody have their number? Okay, I can read your mind. Okay, your number is eleven. Did somebody have that number? Did somebody have that number? Did anybody have that number? Okay, wait, I it got a little... It was, somebody at home, I think you wrote. 75, did anybody have that number? You guys are not on the same wavelength. Okay, hold on. 26, is that your number? Hang on, I'm, I'm getting, it's coming to me. Seven, did anybody have, yes, we did it. And this, my friends, is why I never played the lottery, because it took four numbers just to get one of yours, right? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about this idea of, of probability, this idea of there being faith, and, and what you can have faith in. And there's a lot of times we talk about when we have faith is how much faith do we have. When we talk about probability, the probability that one of you in this audience today has the same number in mind that I did, actually is pretty low. What would that number be? What's the chance that we would have that same number? One in 100. Now, it's going to get a little uh, muddied here because some of you could think, and obviously some of you had to have uh, thought of the same number because we have more than 100 people in here. But the more people who have a number in their head the higher likelihood, the probability that I would be able to figure out that number, right? And so as we talk about faith, there's this issue of how much faith do you have, but there's another question that we have to ask, and I think that question's going to be answered in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, is a passage that's filled with awkward conversations and with harsh comments and even leaving us with some really difficult questions. Now, in class, we're going to discuss what comes before, so, you know, that's a little bit of a cliffhanger, maybe a little bit of a carrot dangler, uh, maybe uh, just a, a shameless plug to come to class afterwards, and we're going to talk about what happens before. But to, just to summarize, Jesus and three of his closest disciples are all going to go up on the mountain. It's going to be called the Mount of Transfiguration is what we refer it to. But the basic story is, is that they're going to be on the mountaintop, and now they're going to come back down into the valley. And it is... It is not going to be a warm welcome as they get down, at least from the people that they see there, right? Um, they're going to be up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. They're coming back down, and I want to pick up in verse 14. 
It says when they came to the other disciples, they being Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. This is what happens if you get a scribe, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and they get anywhere near Jesus of one of his followers, an argument is likely to break out. Right. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Now again, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in class, but man, you ever have one of those mountaintop experiences, like one of those really great days, and then it's immediately followed by, oh man, a Monday, right? You have a really great day, you have a really great moment. We even talked about this in class last week, that sometimes uh, on the heels of the, your greatest victories uh, are your most uh, disappointing defeats. And this seems to be what happens here. Like, everything is awesome. For those of you who have gone to camp before, you know, you, this is called the post-camp blues you know, you spend all week at a camp with friends, you're having fun, everything is great, and all of a sudden you come back home and you're staring at your sister or your parents or the dirty dishes in the sink and you're like, man, I wish I was at camp. And there's this kind of post-camp experience for Peter, James, and John as they're coming back down, they've been on the mountaintop, everything's been awesome, and all of a sudden there's this arguing and complaining. But then something weird happens. The people see Jesus... They were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. And I'm curious, what, what caused them? Why, why would they be overwhelmed with wonder and run to him? What, what was going on? I'm kind of curious. I mean, some people have speculated that, that maybe, you know, he, he was kind of glowing, you know, like when Moses came down from the mountain. But that doesn't seem quite realistic because, well, we'll talk about this later, but he told them, hey, don't tell anybody about what happened up here. So I kind of get the feeling that, that maybe there was something else involved. I guess my real question is, would you be running to, to see Jesus too? Well, here's the deal. There's an argument. Jesus comes down. Maybe they think he's going to fix it. He's going to settle it. He's going to side with somebody. But they're going to ask him a question, but he's going to ask first. He says, what are you arguing about with them, he asked. And this is the one thing that really bugs me. Because all throughout this passage, there's going to be some questions asked, and we don't necessarily know who they're directed to. Who is he talking to? He says, what are you arguing about? Who is you? Is he talking to his disciples? And he says, hey, why are you arguing with the scribes? Or maybe he says to the scribes, what are you arguing with them about? Like, leave my people alone. We really don't know. But listen to this. A man in the crowd answers. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, he throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. Several things are going on in this passage, but one of the things that I find really interesting is you just can't win for losing if you're going to follow Jesus. Okay? Because earlier in Mark, remember what happens, Jesus is going to drive out a demon, and what are the, what are the Pharisees going to say? 
you belong to Satan. Satan has given you power to cast out demons. And that's why you're a terrible person. And then we have here, they don't drive out a demon, and they're getting picked on by the scribes. No matter what they do, it's not going to please the people of this world. But here's, what else, here's something else I think is interesting. It's trying to figure out what in the world this kid really has. What's going on? I think some of you could look at that and say, oh, I, I can figure that out. You can diagnose it. That's, that's epilepsy. That's, like, that's a common thing. That's, that's not a demon. And, and then people will get into discussion to, you know, the things that we're going on today, the ailments that we have, maybe those are demon possession and uh, or, or maybe back then it was a demon possession. It was just something that we would call, you know, a, a, a common ailment today. And I, I can't speak a lot to that, except I can say that if you look back in Matthew chapter 4, there's going to be a list of miracles that Jesus does. And some of them are going to include healing paralytics uh, and epileptics and demon-possessed people people, uh, demoniacs. And so even back then, they had different words to describe the different issues. They knew there was a difference between somebody who suffered from epilepsy or who was paralyzed and someone who was demon-possessed. And so that kind of breaks down this myth of, of you know, you're having a, a struggle of determining what you should do, and if you choose the wrong thing, you say, oh, the, the, the devil made me do it. Like, I was, I was possessed by, I didn't really get a choice in that. And I think it's very clear that there's a, a big difference between being demon-possessed and having epilepsy or just choosing to do something that you know better not to do. But Jesus is going to say this, and this, is, this really gets me, because this is scratches my head. I've looked up all up and down, and maybe you can help me out this morning. He says, you unbelieving generation. And if you want to go to Matthew, he also said, you perverse generation. He throws that in too. But Mark just says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So my question is, Who is Jesus talking to when he says, you unbelieving generation, you perverse generation? Who's he talking to? Somebody help me out. Who could he be talking to? Let me just ask this. Who might he be talking to? Okay, he could be talking to his apostles. He might be saying, hey, guys, you should figure this out. Do they have the ability to do this? Do they have the ability to drive out demons? Yes. How do we know this? Well, because he sent them out before and they've done it. They've came, come back and they've talked about it. So maybe he's saying, hey, guys, how long do you have to put up with you? I mean, he seems really perturbed. He seems, fr- he seems mad. And we'll use the church word, he seems indignant. I think he's ticked off. I've, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out at who. Okay, so he, he possibly, he might be talking to the disciples. Who might he also be talking to? The scribes. Okay, why would he say that to the scribes and the Pharisees? They they wanted to get rid of him? Does their faith have anything to do 
with the healing of people around them? What about, what about the faith of the Father? Does his faith play a part in what Jesus can or can't do? Anybody want to disagree? I know it's a church. You said yes. Yes, you want to disagree? You do disagree. All right. On the same pew. This is going to get good, folks. Here we go now. So, is faith required for Jesus to work? You look throughout the Gospels, and sometimes he seems to say, you know, you have been healed because of your faith. Other times, Faith is not mentioned. And then we even have a few times, like in his hometown, it says Jesus couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Okay, well... I'm glad you mentioned that because we're actually going to get to that in this story of like how much faith is enough, right? Okay, so they did what Jesus asked. So somebody has faith or at least they're good at listening. Jesus is bringing the boy to me. So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. And I know this isn't a part of the story, but I just want to ask, because I love asking questions about the text, why did the evil spirit respond this way? They always said, why did they do this? Why did, he, why did the spirit freak out? They want to stay where they're at. Now, I, I just want to debunk this myth, because it, it just it, I'm indignant when I think about this. I don't know why, but some people have gotten the idea that hell is going to be a really cool place. It's where there's a jukebox. It's, it's where there's parties all the time. We have the keg. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be fun. But just based on the reaction of this demon, I'm thinking it can't be quite as good as some people want it to be. Because in my estimation, the reason why the demon is just going crazy is because he believes that, that possessing a boy on earth is better than serving Satan in hell. And that's where he does not want to go back to. He doesn't want to be there. And he says, "I just let me stay here. And then Jesus is now finally, he's going to ask a question that's directed to a specific person. And I love this dialogue. And he asks this question, he says, how long has he been like this? And just real quickly, I want to ask this. Why did Jesus ask this question? Well, let me just, let's start, I'll go easier. Did Jesus need to ask this question? Why did he ask it? Why would he say, how long has the boy been like, what does this have anything to do? Does this, is this going to affect whether or not he can heal him? Or whether or not he will heal him? Why would he ask this question? It, it affects how people think. Do what? Okay, to, to give details to the skeptics, you know, if he says how long it's been, if it's been a really long time, it's like, oh, this is not something that he, he picked up a few weeks ago. Like, he's had this for a really long time. He's really struggled with this. 
Jennifer, I heard you say something. I, I, I think that could be a part of it too. This idea of, 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 of wanting to, it wasn't just like I'm going to do a miracle. It was about I want to develop a relationship with this person. I, I care about this person more than, you know, just being the one who, who heals people. I offer something so much more. But the father answered from childhood. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Did you catch it? Really small word, really huge implications. If you can, Jesus said. If you can. Has that, has that word come up before? Has there been an if statement around one of Jesus' miracles? If, if we go all the way back, there's a long time ago, just a few chapters, but it seemed like it was you know, six or eight months ago, nothing from you, Lance. Don't say a word. We've been in Mark a really long time. But if you go all the way back to Mark chapter 1, verse 40, there's this if statement where, remember, uh, the, it was the leper who says, if you are willing, you can heal me. But this one's a little different. How is this different than if you are willing? Okay, this is not, yeah, this isn't a question, Brad, of whether or not Jesus is, is willing to do it. Now it's a question of what? If he's able to do it. You know, he's got to be willing, but he's also got to be able. And Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, this verse is going to get us into a lot of hot water. Because there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a few minutes. But I want to stick with the story right here, picking up in verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know, God says, trust me. Jesus says, just believe. Throughout the, the New Testament, we have story after story in which Jesus says, you can do so many things. You can move mountains if you just have faith. And in this previous verse, verse 23, Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. Do you believe that? Lock, stock, and barrel, like, that's the end of it if you believe it's going to happen. Yes or no? I can't, I, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you. I don't know, maybe the hum of the lights was too much. What was that again? Do you believe? I, I heard a few yeses, but even those yeses, Okay, so, so you're saying, okay, if you had more belief than it would happen, John? Well, I mean, that's what we're left with. 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm not here really to, you know, hurt your feelings or, or try to tear apart your faith. But if you're saying, if you say, I believe everything is possible for one who believes, if Jesus is saying that, I just have a few quick questions for you. And you can, maybe you can help me out that. If everything is possible for him who believes, why do we have hospitals? Why do we have hate? Why do we have violence? Why do we have good, godly people struggling with cancer? Good, godly people who've had to deal with divorce. Why do we have children who are abused? Why do we have nations that are still struggling with starvation? And how come everybody in this room is going to die? If, if everything is possible, then why do we have these things? But if we believe, if we believe that anything can happen, if I really believe that, if I really believe that, that God can take away cancer, and I'm, some people are going to get really mad at me right now. I, I heard this a few years ago. I heard people stand up and say, I believe that God has given me the power over COVID and my church is going to meet and we, nothing will happen to us because God has given us his hedge of protection and everything is great. I know you're mad at me now. I'm okay with that. It's okay to be mad with me. Because, and here's my problem with this. People can say, God says I won't get COVID. How many people are saying, God, God won't give me cancer? God won't give me diabetes? God won't make me die? You know, we kind of create these, these little walls and say, well, God is going to protect me and watch over me. If everything, if, if everything is possible to the one who believes, why don't we have some people running around here who are three, four, five thousand 5,000 years old? I mean, the closest, the most faithful person that we have in this room has to be Rusty. It's been a while, bud. I, it's been a long while. Lynn, you're off the hook today. But seriously, if all it takes is if I just have enough belief and I just want to close out with this thought, maybe it's not about how much. I think we get caught up in the how much and, and folks, I love you and I'm telling you this because I think this is a really dangerous place to find yourself. Because there's too many people who go around saying, if you just believe, it'll happen. And when it doesn't happen, you're either struggling with, I don't have enough faith, or just God doesn't hear me. But what if it's not about how much? What if it's not about how much faith? What if it's about where? Maybe that's the question we should be asking. Where is your faith? Is your faith in, for them, a Messiah who would get rid of Rome? They could have had all the faith that they needed. It wasn't how much faith they had, it was where their faith was. You can have all the faith that you need that God is going to heal you of something. Trust me, I've been there. I have been there. I have been there when I knew, I knew God was going to do something and he didn't do it. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, there, I had no doubt in my mind that God was going to heal that little child. And he did not. And so now I have to ask the question, did I lack the faith, or does God just not care, or he can't do anything about it? Or what if God says, listen, your faith is in a different kind of Messiah that I'm not. That your faith is in a God who saves, but I save a different way. I save in a better way. Yeah, Lazarus got the healing. He, he was... He was saved, but he, he died again. And so when you find yourself struggling with, do I have enough faith? I just want you to think about where truly is your faith? Can I just trust in Jesus and know that he can work when the radiation doesn't? He can heal. Even when the doctor says your loved one's not going to make it. He can sustain and hold together after the marriage has fallen apart. He says, I want you to have faith in me that I can do things that are eternal and so much greater. That's who I want us to have faith in. I don't want you to leave here thinking, oh, if, if I just had a little more faith, God, God would fix things. I just want you to know that it's not the miracles that fix things. The cross did. And the love of Jesus did. And the empty tomb did. And so as we prepare for the upcoming days, and I hope you are finding ways to prepare for what, what we're going to be celebrating with a large part of our community in this world, the empty tomb. This week, I want you to be thinking about how the cross and the empty tomb allows you to have faith and where exactly that faith needs to go. I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about next week. It's why we meet. It's why we come together. It's to celebrate an empty tomb. But maybe you're not there yet. And if you're struggling this morning, believing that you could have any faith at all, I want to encourage you and invite you and introduce you to one who is worthy of whatever faith you may have, even if it's small as a mustard seed. I want to encourage you to, to come and join us as we stand and sing this morning.